0: It's great to see you guys again this morning. If you guys have your Bibles, open to Galatians chapter 4 this morning. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 4. We're going to look actually at just two simple verses this morning, uh, verses 4 and 5. As you guys are turning there, I'll I'll go ahead and tell you guys, uh, this weekend I fell into a fad that I had been resisting for years, actually, all right? Uh, A fad and a, a session and a fascination that has been seen in many TV shows and many movies that I had resisted, kind of given the Heisman to literally for years, all right? Uh, and finally this weekend, if you want to call it temptation, you can call it that. I fell into it. I finally went after it and did the whole zombie thing. All right, So uh, I got to see World War Z uh, this past uh, weekend. Had a great time. I love me some Brad Pitt. All right, uh, Enjoyed the movie. I hadn't done the zombie thing in a long time. Been wondering what's everybody into? Why is everybody so excited? Why is there so many countless TV shows and movies that are always and all about zombies? What's the big deal? All right. I'll tell you guys, I, I enjoyed the movie. I'll, I'll tell you guys, as I was watching it, though, there's this one scene, I can't give anything away to any of you guys who are, haven't seen it yet, but there's this one scene, really climactic scene, the very end of the movie. Uh, Brad Pitt, God bless him, is in a glass room, all right? Uh, and there's a zombie right outside the door to the room, all right? Who, who's waiting for him, essentially, right? I'm not going to tell you what's going on in the room. I'm not going to tell you how the thing unfolds. But literally, the whole movie kind of has been leading up to this moment. The, the flow of the story, the whole plot really kind of slows down. And it feels like we are in this scene for literally, it feels like five minutes. Brad Pitt is literally just waiting in a room with a zombie on the other side of the glass door, all right? And I kid you not, all right? For five minutes, the zombie just kind of contorts and goes... I, like clicks his teeth. All right. I mean, and over and over again. All right. And I just remember thinking to myself, please make it stop. All right. I just want it to stop. I want it to be over. I'm tired of the chattering teeth. And I went to bed last night with the chattering teeth in my head. All right. And so I went to bed last night again, going, why, why are people doing the zombie thing? It just is so heebie jeebies. It weirds me out. All right. Makes my skin crawl. All right. I was thinking even more, if you were to think about the incarnation of Jesus, here we go. Here's the tr- transition. All right." I was thinking first century A.D., all right? Someone says to you, here's what God has done. God, who has existed from all of eternity, who existed in the divine form, spirit, all right, has decided to come down to earth, has decided to take on human flesh and to live and evade and live amongst us, all right? If you were to try to, in a sense, put that movie or that storyline into a movie, what genre would it fall into, all right? Romance? Some of us like that idea, but no, all right? Drama? Uh, Don't think so, right? Comedy? Definitely not, right? Uh, Tragedy? Yeah, we could do the tragedy thing, right? Uh, What about sci-fi? I don't know. What about alien and zombie genre, all right? Think about it. One who has existed from far off in a different form takes on human flesh and lives amongst us, right? If you were in the first century A.D., You've never heard of this incarnation idea, and someone's trying to sell you that. You're thinking zombie alien genre, right? I mean, this is whacked out crazy stuff, right? How in the world do you fathom that I concept? That God, who's existed from all of eternity, who is the Alpha and the Omega, who is perfect, who's omniscient, omnipresent, uh, omnipotent, has come and taken on human flesh and lived and invaded our world, right? Well, that's where we're headed this morning. We're going to discuss the topic of God's imminence, all right? If you were with us the past two weeks, we really were unpacking and unfolding really the the broader concept of God's transcendence. And by transcendence, what we mean is that God exists beyond the limits of our understanding and our uh, experience. That God exists beyond those limits of our understanding and experience. And so we said two weeks ago this, that God is eternal, that he exists outside of and beyond time. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He stands not just at the beginning, but he stands at the end, and he stands over all of time. He is transcendent over time, right? We also said two weeks ago that he is unchanging, that there is no shifting shadow in God. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He, unlike humanity, unlike the creation itself, is within time and undergoes change. In contrast, God does not change. God is transcendent even above and beyond change. God is transcendent above and beyond the limits or the boundaries of our understanding and our experience. If you are with us last week, we said that God is also self-sufficient. He is independent. That God ultimately, and this is hard for us to hear, but he does not need us, right? Uh, the entirety of the creation needs something to not only exist, but to continue to exist and be sustained. God is not like that. God is, is beyond his creation in the sense that he is self-sufficient. He does not need anything from his creation. He is independent in that sense. Uh, we talked even last week that though that shows that he is his love is all the more significant and his grace is all the more significant because he moves toward humanity not because he needs anything from humanity. He moves to humanity and towards humanity to redeem it because he loves humanity. It's because of his good pleasure that he moves toward his creation, not because the creation can do anything for God himself. He's wholly sufficient. He's completely whole. He's not lacking. He's not in need. His creation does nothing for him in that sense, all right? So we said really the last two weeks, really what we've been stressing is that God is transcendent. He exists over and above all things. He exists beyond the limits and the boundaries of our experience and our knowledge. If you've ever thought or ever felt, or even listening to those last two weeks, thought, well, maybe God, no wonder God seems so silent to me at times. Maybe you thought, often in the midst of your circumstances, where is God? Why is it so hard to feel close to God? Why is it so hard to feel that uh, you can hear Him, you can sense Him, you can touch Him, you can listen to Him, you can see Him? Why is that so hard? His transcendence really emphasizes that, and what we're going to do this morning is move in the opposite direction to try to balance out kind of where we've been moving the last two weeks. As we talk about God's immanence, it's a big fancy word. Basically what it means is the opposite of transcendence. Whereas transcendence meant that God existed beyond the limits of experience and knowledge. Imminence means that God exists within the limits of our experience and knowledge. That God can be known. That God can be heard. That God can be seen. That God can be related to. God is imminent. He is within the boundaries of our limits or our experience and our knowledge. We can know him. We can have a relationship with him. God is not just transcendent above and beyond, but he's also imminent within and involved with his creation. He did not just create and then walked away and said, good luck, right? Like a coach patting someone on the butt said, hey, good luck with all that, right? God, no, no, he creates and then he remains involved with his creation. He's not just transcendent, he's imminent. And that's really where Galatians 4 is going to take us this morning, really helping us wrestle with, if you've ever felt like God is distant or that he's silent or that he's hard to wrestle with, God's imminence, this idea that we'll see really pinned down in terms of Jesus' incarnation, shows you and I that, no, no, God is near. That God can be heard, that God can be seen, that God can be known. He is available to, that, to us in that kind of way. And it really balances this concept of God's transcendence. Not just that he's transcendent, but that he's imminent. That's kind of where we're going to head this morning. Galatians 4. If you guys look there, we're going to begin in verse 4. And beginning in verse 4, Paul writes this. Galatians 4, beginning in verse 4. Paul writes, But when the fullness of the time came... God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Ultimately, in verse 4, Paul unpacks it. I think what Paul is trying to make the point here is that God has, in a sense, invaded. Uh, That God has invaded, if you will. Uh, In fact, you're going to give three different ideas about this invasion. The first one comes in, in terms of God's timing to this invasion. Uh, He says that, so when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son. It's interesting, again, we've been talking the last two weeks. Two weeks ago, we said that God is eternal, that he exists outside and beyond of time. What I love here in verse 4 is that you get this sense of, it's not just that God is above and beyond time, but that he's paying attention to time and he can step into time. And so when the fullness of time comes, God then sends his son, that God is keeping watch of time. That God is not just passive, he's not checked out, that God is very much involved in his creation and he's watching time, so to speak. And in the fullness of time, when time was right, God then acted and stepped into space and time with his son, Jesus Christ. It's fascinating as you look at this concept, the fullness of time, and even the discussion of then a son arriving, I think Paul is likening time to a pregnant woman, all right? Uh, the fullness of time, as if a pregnant woman who's reached a fullness then comes forth a son, all right? Uh, I will tell you the analogy to pregnancy is always a dangerous one, all right? Uh, as uh, one who's had a wife pregnant twice, all right, I'll tell you guys, Discussion about the topic of pregnancy is one you enter into very carefully, all right? You mishandle pregnancy and its issues and its implications, and you have a, a, a bomb that will go off and wreak havoc relationally, all right? Uh, so I will tell you guys this, two, two, two different examples. One is, uh, I remember the first time we were pregnant, we were at a doctor's office, and my wife asked the doctor and says, hey, first time we've been pregnant, it goes, hey, my emotions are all over the place. Is that normal? Our doctor looks at me and goes, here's what you do. You take, you take a step back, you collect yourself, and then you enter into that question very carefully, right? Uh, you miss enter into that question, you mis-represent uh, and speak to pregnancy, and you have a big problem, all right? Uh, one of my favorite things, too, is, is watching people try to speak toward uh, the fullness that comes with a pregnant woman, all right? By fullness, I mean the physical fullness, right? It is hard to know how to navigate around that fullness literally and figuratively, all right? So uh, I remember uh, a few years ago, we had a staff wife who was pregnant, and it was probably about the seventh and eighth mark, and so it was clear that there was a fullness to be seen, all right? Uh, This single guy, intern was trying to figure out how to encourage her, trying to figure out how to address or speak to the pregnancy, not really knowing how to navigate that, says this, "'Well, you sure are coming along nicely, right?' On the surface, seems like a nice, just innocent comment, all right? But what it triggered in her mind was this, that she was being likened to a cake that was just rising in the oven, right? And she didn't really like that concept, all right? And so here's my advice to you people. Paul can talk about pregnancy as an analogy you should not ever in any case whatsoever, all right? Never mention pregnancy unless it's mentioned to you, then speak toward it, all right? I've learned this from experience. Kind of free of charge, all right? But Paul is going to liken time to a pregnant woman. Time in which has hit nine months of pregnancy and when that fullness has come, has sent forth a son. In fact, you'll notice that the gift that is sent is the son Jesus himself, uh, or God's gift, right? Uh, and so really what you see is not just the timing of this invasion, but the gift itself. Uh, that ultimately what God does is he acts, he's going to step into space and time, not just with an action, but with a gift. And not specifically just with a thing, but with a person. He's going to send the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ himself. What an amazing gift to step into space and time. Jesus himself, who will take on human flesh and will come in the form of humanity and an invasion that is unlike anything else we've ever seen from the Godhead. God has constantly throughout human history acted and been involved with creation. But here is in a moment where God acts in a way we've never seen before. Jesus Christ will take on human flesh, and he will come and exist in a form he's not existed prior, and he will exist in that form for all of eternity to come as the God-man. In fact, if you think about, if maybe you are a gifts person, I, I'll tell you guys personally for myself, I, don't, I do not like to give gifts because it feels incredibly insecure. What do I give? What do I give? I'm so worried about what I have to think about what I give, all right? Gifts for me terrify me, all right? But maybe some of you guys are those that love to receive gifts and love, love to give gifts. Uh, I'll tell you guys, I think gifts always highlight a sense of love and care and thoughtfulness uh, by the giver, right? Um, And so I I was thinking even back uh, this week, thinking about, uh, for me, gifts have always been really significant, not just at Christmas time, but at camp time, right? If you guys ever went to camp as a student or as a high school kid, uh, I just loved when packages, gift care packages would arrive, right? Uh, And so, in fact, I had one of my best friends, his mom would always send home-baked cookies, these things would show up as the very epitome of all of his mother's love and care, and then they would become amazing gold uh, exchangeable fruit within the camp, right? It's like cigarettes in a prison, right? You could change these cookies for anything, and you can get anything that you needed. Not that I've been in a prison or know anything about that, all right? But, uh, and so here's the deal. So his mom would send gifts, and I remember there were a student, there were kids whose moms and dads would never send anything, and so they would literally wrap something up And send it off ahead of their departure so that it would arrive about a week into their time at camp and that everyone would think that they were loved and cared for, right? I knew that that often happens, and so even as a student here in college, I would have a lot of friends who would do the camp thing as counselors. I've never, I've never really been a great camp guy. not kind of campy, but a lot of my friends would go as counselors, all right? And so what I would do, I always thought it was fun because mail call always happens, and people often are reading people's letters. And so I thought what would be awesome at camp is to send uh, a picture of one of my friends with someone of the opposite sex, all right? So I would look for a picture of someone, one of my friends hugging someone, maybe a guy hugging a girl, all right? And then I would send that picture off as if it were a postcard, all right? And I would write on the back of that postcard, as if I were the person of the opposite sex, and I would build up a whole relationship between these two, all right, so I would write as if I was the girlfriend, all right, and so i 'd say, "Oh David, I miss you so much, I miss the smell of your eternity, the way that you run your hands through my panteen hair." Like, I would just go crazy, all right, and so since it 's not sealed, it would be really easy to be identified and read in front of everybody, right, which I thought was awesome, all right so Um, camp gifts, camp pranks, they always show a certain kind of love and care. Amen? Are you with me? Right? Jesus does something way better than camp cookies or camp pranks, right? He sends his only son, Jesus Christ. Second person of the Trinity, he dispatches his son, Jesus, for you and I. His son is going to take on human flesh. I want you guys to notice the nature of his arrival. Paul says in verse four that he was born of a woman born under the law. Think about the manner that Jesus came. It wasn't just that Jesus came and walked around as a divine one who just had all kind of power, which he did, but he took on and was born of a woman. He came in a manger. He came with incredible humility and even humiliation, right? The king of kings, the Lord of the universe, the creator and the sustainer of all things comes in the form of a baby who has to be changed, who has to be held, who has to be cared for and is absolutely dependent on survival by mom and dad. Think about how the king of kings came and arrived. What a fascinating way to show up. Incredibly humble. Paul will say even further that he came born under the law. He came not just in in, in a way that was humble, but also in a way that was restricted. He didn't have to be born in this kind of way. Why? He comes for a certain intent in mind. Ultimately, Paul is going to highlight not just his invasion, which is the incarnation, but he's going to highlight something else as well. In fact, I think it's easy to say that the the incarnation was ultimately a divine invasion into space and time. The incarnation of Jesus Christ was ultimately a divine invasion into space and time. The one who was transcendent will be seen to be imminent as well. This uh, quote from Randy Alcorn, he says this, that God who is transcendent became imminent in Jesus Christ, who is Emmanuel, God with us. The one who is eternal, unchanging, self-sufficient, independent, chose in his goodness, in his kindness, and in his sovereignty, and in his love, to become imminent. To come and invade space and time and to walk amongst us because he cared for us and he loved us. And he came in such a stunning kind of way. What an incredible gift. Why did Jesus, though, have to come in the manner that he came? What was the intent of his incarnation? What was the intent of this invasion? Notice verse 5. Paul says this. So that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Paul's going to give us two different analogies for for the arrival and the incarnation of Jesus Christ. One is redemption, one is adoption. He says that he came to redeem those who were under the law. What does it mean that Jesus came to redeem? Ultimately, redemption is nothing more than an economic uh, analogy for salvation or an economic analogy for what God has made happen for you and I. Uh, basically what happened in the marketplace back in that day and time is that a slave would be put up for sale and a owner could come and redeem that slave by buying them out of the marketplace. And ultimately redemption was not just being bought out of the marketplace but being freed from that status so that you would be rescued out of a status of poverty with no rights and no ability to manage your own life. Ultimately, what uh, redemption is for you and I who know Jesus Christ is that Jesus took upon human flesh and he died on our behalf so that he could rescue us out of a poverty that we had. The fact that you and I had, had all committed sin and fallen short of the glory of God, so you and I were all bankrupt, so to speak, before God. We had no currency, nothing that we could spend to secure for ourselves a status, a righteousness, or even a security before God. All we had in that court, so to speak, was that we would be, in a sense, under the wrath of God because we were sinful. And what Jesus does for you and I on the basis of his death is that he comes and he rescues us from the wrath of God and buys us on the basis of his own life out of that wrath and out of that marketplace, so to speak. God does for us what we could not do for ourselves. Like a slave in a marketplace who could not work themselves out of their situation, so God comes and helps us out of a situation that we could not work ourselves out of. If you think about the grace of God, you think about the approval of God, God does not offer anything that you can earn, right? You cannot earn the approval of God. The only means by which it's granted is the means of which someone else has done for you. That is Jesus Christ. And God offers a way of escape, a way of redemption. And it's not just escape, but he also offers an entry as well. He says in verse uh, 5, speaking of this adoption, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Redemption highlights escape out of, being pulled out of a situation. Adoption uh, highlights being entered into something. That's the beauty of the gospel. It's not just that God has rescued us and allowed us to escape out of something, but ultimately the beauty of the gospel is that God has also put us into something. We have an entry as well. Uh, Paul highlighted his adoption, this idea that one who is not a part of the family was brought into the family with all the rights and the privileges of a natural son. I think it's no coincidence in verse 5 that Paul uses the same term that describes Jesus in verse 4 to describe you and I. Notice again verse 4 that God sent forth his son, and then you and I on the basis of what that son has done allows us to become adopted as sons, right? With all the rights, all the privileges of the one that is Jesus Christ, right? That we are brought into that family with all the inheritance, all the rights, all the status, all the privileges that come with that family. That's really the beauty of the gospel. It's not just that we've been brought out of something, that we've been invited into something as well. What I love about uh, Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 5, is that you get a picture that Jesus' incarnation is the means for our redemption and adoption. Apart from what Jesus has done in, in taking on human flesh, acting as our substitute, standing in our place, so that we would not receive the penalty of our sins, apart from that, you and I would have no redemption and we would have no adoption. There's no way to have a relationship with God apart from what Jesus Christ has done. That's why he will say of himself in John fourteen six. I am the truth, the way, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. There's no other door. There's no other entry point. There's no other opportunity to a relationship with God apart from what Jesus has done. It's the beauty of the gospel. It is exclusive. All roads don't leave to one place. There's only one road that leads to a relationship with the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ. What I love, though, about this passage is that it's not just that it shows us what God has accomplished for us, but it also provides us an amazing model for what we are called to as well. One of my favorite passages comes in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verses 14 and 20. Paul writes, For the love of God compels us, as though God were making an appeal through us be reconciled to God. Why did God go through all of this for our behalf? Did he need us? We said this last week. No, he did it because he loved us. He loved us so greatly that he would send his only son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could be reconciled, that we could be redeemed, we could be adopted. We could have a way of escape and a way of entry. We could be rescued and have an invitation as well. And it's not just that it shows us how that's accomplished, but it also shows us a model for how we are to therefore go about reconciling, inviting the world to a relationship with Jesus Christ. What is it that we see in Jesus Christ? It's not just that he is a model for how we're to live. When Jesus says, I am the truth, the way, and the life, he's not just saying that, hey, I'm a model. Live like me and you'll do well. He's saying two things. One, that he's the means for our adoption and redemption, but he's also a model for how we are to extend the adoption and redemption to the world to other, everybody else. I love what Jesus shows us because he shows us an incredible model for what it means to move to the world and to the nations in such a way uh, that we would talk about being missional all the time, right? I want to give you guys a glimpse at world missions. I want to talk about missions for just a moment. And when I say missions, I don't mean being more intentional in our local communities, all right? Although that's nice and that's good. All right, I, I think largely today when people talk about missions, they're talking about being intentional in their local communities. So we have missional groups. We have missional cell groups where we want to be missional. Uh, I want to talk about missions in terms of the world scene. But I think that's often where you see this model most powerfully de- demonstrated. Think about what God does God comes from afar and he comes near. God who existed in one form takes on another form so as to identify and to reach a people who are far off from him. That's the very model, that's the very picture, that's the very call of what missions is, a people who would leave what is familiar, would go somewhere far off, somewhere oftentimes strange, to a people they do not know, to a people they are not like, and looking to become like them so as to identify with them and then invite them to a new relationship. So what missions is, it is a displacement of ourselves uh, culturally, residentially to a place that is different and to a culture that's different, taking on that culture so as to identify and invite them to a universal message of hope and truth. That's so what missions really is. And so we talk about it a lot here at Grace, especially in our college ministry, as we send students every summer to East Asia, to North Africa, to Greece, and then this past summer even to India, bringing a message of hope, of grace that the world is so desperately in need of to people who in some cases have no hope of ever hearing such a message. We live in a place of great plenty. There are churches on every corner. And so there's a great responsibility for us as a nation, for us as a church in North America, to take the gospel to places where it's not heard, where there's not a church on every corner. And the great opportunity we have is to follow the footsteps of Jesus who has showed us what incarnational missional ministry looks like a ministry of reconciliation, a ministry of invitation to a people who are far off, often case unlike us, and I'm looking to identify and coming under their culture, coming and becoming like them so as to speak to them and so as to invite them to something that they have not on their own. That's the great beauty. That's the great call of the church to make disciples of all nations. For us as a church and for us as a college ministry, this is for us a great passion and a drum we beat consistently because it is the call of the church. And honestly, I'd say for much of the church in North America, it's a call, internationally speaking, that we've dropped the ball on. We want to be missional in our communities where it's comfortable and it's familiar and it's somewhat, somewhat convenient. I want to challenge you to begin to see, even this, this morning, and i are going to have a couple people come talk to you, to give you more of a glimpse as to what God is doing in the nations. What he's doing in places that are far off, what he's doing in places that you've never dreamed about, you've never seen. Because I want your eyes to be broadened. And I want you guys to see exactly what God is doing because what Jesus has done for you and I is the same kind of thing he's called us toward in terms of incarnational ministry, stepping off and stepping away towards a people who are different, becoming like them so as to identify with them and invite them to something.
1: Howdy. How's it going? Hey, my name's Roger Jones. I got to Had the opportunity to come preach here a couple weeks ago, but um, I'm a college intern here at Grace Bible Church, and it's actually got five days left, so it's kind of bittersweet. This is my last Sunday, and uh, it's really sad, but it's also really good because I get to go have a new change of life. But I was asked to come and share a little bit about my experience on the Summer Project team that I co-led with Katie Foote uh, 2012, so last summer, and that's what I'm here to do today. So really excited, and I'm really pressed for time, so I'm going to try to go quickly. We, uh, We had a great team, actually some of our team members are here right now, and Um, There were six girls, five guys, and Katie and me, and we had, uh, they were very encouraging, very uplifting, and oh hey Danielle, you too, my bad, my bad, Um, but we were here, we went to DFW, um, left to go to Asia, and uh, we had some crazy times in San Francisco, just a lot of problems, and it was really, really stressful, and God in his grace got us over there, and by the prayers of many saints, some of the people in here were praying for us that day, and we eventually got there, and the company that was helping us got a man to the city we were at. And he got us to reconnect with the flight, and we eventually got to our city. Whew, I was really tired. We were all really tired. Woke up the next morning, and uh, Katie and I were talking with the people, a couple of people there, and we were just like, oh, my gosh, where are we at? This is a whole new world. Where is my latte? Where is my breakfast taco? I need some good eggs. I don't know what to eat. Um, but we weren't there just to do um, cultural sightseeing. We were there to bring the gospel to these people of Asia. And uh, we had some incredible stories, and one such story was a Monday And I was with three of our guys, and we met up with a student named Sonny. And Sonny was about this tall, had glasses, and he was a lot more excited than most of the other Asian students we met. He was just, like, jumping up and down, ready to go, and he wanted to just meet with us. And he led us to this um, kind of uh, sketchy cafeteria, and we got the food. These had eggs there, ironically, and they were really, really gross. Had some white rice. Thankfully, had some Coke, so we just sipped on that, and we picked on our food with our chopsticks. Um, But we were just like, we're going to go all in. Like, this is the first time we met him. We're going to go all in and just see what he has to think. We asked him, Sonny, do you believe in God? And Sonny said, no, I'm an atheist. We're like, nope, no worries. We'll keep pressing. We'll try him again. And we asked Sonny, can we, can we share about our God, about Jesus Christ? He said, sure. And sure enough, uh, Sonny listened. And We were sitting right there, and two of the guys were praying, and me and another fellow were sharing the gospel with him. We talked about how God created this perfect world. There was no sin And then a sin entered in the world, and it's led to a physical death and uh, also a huge separation between us and God. And nothing can bring us back to God, um, whether our works or anything we say. It's only through God, who sent his son Jesus Christ, God incarnate, and he uh, came down to the earth and lived a perfect, sinless life. And he died on the cross for our sins, past, present, and future, and then died and rose again, defeating death. And we have victory in him, and through faith alone, man, you can be saved, Sonny. And Sonny was tracking the whole time. He was just, eyes were wide open. He was tracking. We said, Sonny, do you want to know Jesus Christ as your Savior? And Sonny said, sure. And we asked him to repeat back what we just said and make sure we caught, caught all that because we spoke a little fast. He was really nervous. It was one of our first days doing evangelism, and he repeated back what we said, and he, he understood. And uh, my buddy Nathan led him through this prayer to receive Christ, and Sonny prayed, and uh, we were all praying together, and he said, amen. And his eyes were just wide open. Oh, my gosh. And then I, I asked Sonny, Hey, dude, you know what? We're brothers in Christ. And, and this is what Sonny did. He said, Brothers? And he was just so excited to meet with us. And no lie, a week later, Sonny um, brought his roommate. We met up with him again. And uh, we were having a lot of trouble speaking to his roommate, a huge language barrier. And we asked, I asked Sonny, Hey, can you, can you share the gospel, part of the gospel, with your roommate? And right after he did that, his roommate understood, and he said, Hey, man, I want Jesus, too. And he trusted Christ that day. So it was really, really awesome. But why do we go on Summer projects? Why do we go? And I think, I think the main reason is we want to help people get connected with this incredible God that we know. Um, we've been learning about this summer about God's attributes, um, about his love and forgiveness and his kindness and um, all these great things. And we want to connect people with that. And the gospel is how we do that. Um, if they trust in what Jesus Christ did for them, if they trust in the name of Jesus They can be connected with our God. And I think we're called to do that. I think we're called to do that. And this next year, I'm going to Greece on a very long summer project. Actually, it's called Stents. And uh, actually, two of the people here um, on my team are going. We're really excited. And it's going to be a great time. Um, Fully funded, praise the Lord. But uh, if you'd like to pray for us, sorry, Jamie, I didn't want to make a plug. But if you'd like to pray for our team, you can come talk to me afterwards. I'd love to get your prayers. Our team would covet your prayers. We need them. But we're really excited to go. And uh, God has just transformed my life. And God used that summer project, to just work in me. And it's not only for them. It's not only for the people that live there. It's not only for the students in the countries that we go to. It's for you, too. And uh, that was the hardest summer of my life. Oh, my goodness. It was just like being thrown into a furnace, and my character was just being sharpened over and over again. Just my pride, all these things were just being cut away. And God used that not only for the students there, but for us, too. And that's something that you guys should consider. I think you guys should consider Going on summer projects, summer 2014. Get ready. We just planted the seed and used. So I hope it grows. We'll be praying it grows, but we'd love for you guys to go. And I wish um, in college that I I had the courage to do that. I thought I wasn't spiritual enough. How was I supposed to raise this money to go? And uh, I wish I had more courage to do that. And I wanted to close out with two verses to challenge y'all with to think about um, before y'all leave. And the first one is from uh, Romans 1:16. It says, "From not ashamed of the gospel." It is the power of salvation to all those who believe, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. We do not need to be ashamed of the gospel. This is the best news we can share to the world. And the people of Asia, the people of Europe, the people of Africa, the people in the Middle East need to know that. And uh, really reflect on that. Someone shared the gospel to you, and uh, I'm, I'm sure most of you guys are Christians here, but think about that. Think about your walk with the Lord. Think about it. And finally, the final verses from... Joshua one nine. when Moses passed the baton of leadership to Joshua to lead the people in the promised land, God was prepping his, uh, his new leader for um, leading, for leadership. And he said this, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not tremble or be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And God is with you and I think he's commanded us and I know he's commanded us to go to the nations to bring the good news to people. So consider it And we'd love for you all to come. And uh, we have plenty of opportunities. So be praying about that to go on storm project. That's it.
0: Roger, thank you guys for sharing. And again, just to encourage you guys to to think about how can you participate in what God is doing in the nations. There's all kinds of ways to do that. One is, of course, to to go. Uh, So Roger mentioned summer of 2014, it's not too early to plan. Hopefully in the Lord's mercy, you won't be doing summer school next summer, right? Amen. Uh, And that you maybe have an opportunity to go next summer in summer one. We'd love to have you guys come with us. Uh, Also, uh, we have teams that are there all through the year. And so one of the other ways for you to participate and be involved is simply to give. And so Chantel, can you raise your hand? I know you didn't want this, but uh, Chantelle is on our Greece uh, stint team, and so she and uh, five others are forming one team in Greece. We have another team in East Asia and another team even in North Africa, and so they are all raising support. So if you would love to give or to participate even financially in one of those trips, uh, come talk to Chantelle for Greece. Come talk to Roger's course going to Greece as well. Come talk to us, and we can get you connected so that you can participate uh, financially, but also if you want to know how to pray for those teams. They send out prayer letters every, every month, and if you want to know what's going on and how God is moving in the nations, uh, again, come co- talk to them. Come talk to us. We'd love to connect you just so you know what's going on. Uh, I'll tell you guys, I think much of life ends up being uh, smaller and smaller and smaller. Think about the fact that, uh, at least for me, I was a computer engineering major and spent the entirety of my days at AM at Zachary. I, mean, I was like in one building, right? All right all the time. Why was it the most ugly building on campus? I don't know, right? Uh, But I I lived in one building. I remember going walking the same route all the single time from uh, from the parking lot to campus, right? Uh, Much of life in the way where we live and where we frequent just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And one of the things about going overseas or being engaged, involved prayerfully, financially in the nations is that it helps you have a more of a God-shaped perspective. Seeing the nations at large, seeing what God is doing, and it expands your viewpoint because our default is this. Our default is a myopic kind of zoning in on just what is touching our lives and just what is relative to us. And what God has called us to, as we look at even in the incarnation, is that God stepped from afar down into our lives and got involved with the very particulars of our lives so that he could identify with us and that he could redeem us. And the call that we have as a church is to step out of our comfort zones, to step out of what is familiar at times into places and amongst groups and amongst cultures that we do not know so that we can bring the gospel to a people who may not know it. That is the opportunity. That's the call that we have as a church. And there are all kinds of ways for you to be involved. And so I'd love for you guys to prayerfully even take some time this week and go, hey, how can I be involved in the nation's? What might it look like for me to participate in what God is doing in the nations and how can I be a part of that? Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you immensely for what you've done on our behalf, uh, that you would step into human flesh, that you would invade space and time to know us, to redeem us, and to adopt us. Father, we thank you mightily for what you and you alone have done uh, that no one else could accomplish on our behalf. And Father, as we see that and as we experience that, Lord, I pray that it would motivate us, the very love of Christ would compel us to step into our local communities, into broader communities, and even into international communities, engaged uh, to hear and engaged to speak message of truth. Lord, allow us to be bold and unashamed of the gospel, whether it's in a classroom tomorrow, whether it's in a coffee shop this afternoon, whether it's in an apartment complex tonight. uh, Whatever arenas that you've put us in, Lord, I pray that you'd allow us to be bold, to be incarnational, stepping in and listening and becoming like those around us so that we can reach them. Help us to be bold. Help us to be compassionate. And help us to be wise. Father, we ask for these things this morning through your Son and by your Spirit. Amen. You guys, thanks for being here today. We'll see you guys next week. Y'all have a great week.